This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we continue this week our reading from this 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. As I've been saying, Jesus is in Jerusalem, but just in the days and weeks prior to his death. The forces of darkness that have opposed him throughout the Gospel are now closing in on him in a concentrated way. We're preparing for the Passion. This week, Jesus confronts a group of very focused opponents whose purpose is to destroy him. Now, this should not surprise us. The Gospel ends in the crucifixion of Jesus, the destruction of Jesus. The forces are gathering around him. The Gospel identifies them as the Pharisees, We've often run into them as they plot and plan to undermine him. But they're joining forces with the Herodians. These would be the supporters of Herod, who was the head of a puppet state set up by the Romans. The Herodians, we might call them collaborators, Jews who were willing to collaborate with the occupying power. These two opponents of Jesus join forces to trap him. Listen how beautifully Matthew tells this story. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a truthful man and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You're not concerned with anyone's opinion, for you do not regard a person's status. This is a very old game, isn't it? They're setting him up by buttering him up. They are his deadly opponents. They want to destroy him. But they get him off his guard by flattering him. Teacher, we know you're a truthful man. Well, they know anything but. They think he's a great threat. They think he's a great liar. They're opposed to him to the death. But they will, they think, set him up through this flattery. Of course, it's part of the delicious irony of the Gospels that like Pilate in John's Gospel, confronting Jesus, who is himself the truth. Here these people say, we know you're a truthful man. Well, he is. And they're confessing him despite themselves. Then they pose their question. Now, this question is anything but innocent, anything but honest. What it is, is nothing but an attempt to trap him. And it's very clever. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? In Jesus' time, as in our time, religion and politics were very tightly connected. This question was extremely volatile, both politically and religiously. They felt they have laid for him the perfect verbal trap. Now why? Well, the paying of the tax to Caesar, 
was a very controversial thing. The Romans were an occupying power. The vast majority of Jews hated them, just as any occupied people hate their occupiers. Now, if there's anyone that the occupied people hate more than the occupiers, it's the collaborators. Think of the um, occupation of Vichy, France during World War II, when the Nazi kind of puppet government was set up to govern northern France. If there was anyone the French hated more than the Nazis, it was the Vichy collaborators. Something similar now in Jesus' time. Most Jews hated the Romans and hated this occupying power. Other Jews, like the Herodians, were willing to go along, willing to cooperate and collaborate for the general good. So listen again now to this question with that background in mind. Is it lawful, right, to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? What if Jesus says, yes, it is lawful? Well, he has the Romans and the collaborators on his side, but now every zealot, every patriotic Jew in the country is his deadly opponent. You support the temple tax, the census tax, rather? On the other hand, if Jesus says, no, this is not lawful, we shouldn't pay this tax, well, he gets the zealots and patriots on his side, and he has the Romans and the collaborators as his deadly opponents. Either way, he says yes or no, He's got some major political and religious faction in his home country in deadly opposition to him. This is a classic damned if you do, damned if you don't dilemma. You know how often uh, reporters are good at posing this kind of question to politicians to trap them and trip them up. If you say yes, this constituency hates you. You say no, that constituency hates you. This is the situation Jesus finds himself in. These people are not honestly looking for an answer. They are trying to kill him. Because they know if he says yes or no, someone in the country will want to kill him. What does Jesus say? Show me the coin that pays the census tax. So they handed him a Roman coin. He said to them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? They replied, Caesar's. At that he said to them, Then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. Well, our first reaction is to applaud his cleverness. You know, this is part of the, the play in Jesus' time, the play of public debate. And people who could give very snappy and clever answers were praised. Part of the rabbinic training people went through. So Jesus is obviously a very clever and very accomplished debater. It's like his answer when they catch the woman in adultery. And Lord, Moses says we should stone this woman. What do you say? Let the one without sin cast the first stone. There's something about Jesus' cleverness here that we admire. But as you'd expect, there's much more than cleverness going on here something very powerful, I think, and very subtle being communicated in Jesus' response. Now, you know, up and down the centuries, this famous response of Jesus has inspired an awful lot of commentary. On this vexing question of the relationship between religion and politics, between church and state, what's owed to Caesar, what's owed to God? 
On the surface, I'll grant you, Jesus' response seems to favor some kind of sharp demarcation between religion and politics. Render to Caesar what belongs to him, and then on the other side of the divide, render to God what belongs to God. There seems to be a sharp separation, to use our language, between church and state. But I think something more subtle is going on. I think we have to be a little more careful in adjudicating exactly what Jesus is saying and not saying. I think he is indeed indicating that Caesar, which is to say government, politics, has its legitimate realm, duty, and responsibility. We live in a world of politics, economics, social relations. We Christians don't back off from that world. We don't refuse to cooperate with it. And we acknowledge its legitimacy. There are people who are skilled and gifted in these particular areas. And they have their arena of competence. But now listen again to his language. Render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, okay? And to God what belongs to God. Well, Christians, what belongs to God? Everything. Everything belongs to God. God is not a being, but being itself that suffuses, undergirds, runs through, has lordship over all expressions of being, everything, nature, the cosmos, the human heart, human cities and societies, yes, all of it belongs to God. Jesus says, show me that coin, whose image is on it? Well, it's Caesar's image. Okay, well then give that to Caesar. But what's the implication? Everybody, listen now, including Caesar, is stamped with God's image. Everything in the universe, from angels to atoms, are stamped with the image of God. Does Caesar's coin belong to him? Yes. And does Caesar and all that he represents belong to God? Yes, they do. So this game, in other words, is more subtle. We don't draw a sharp, dark line between religion and politics. And say, here's religion on one side, politics on the other side, and the two don't mix. Can't work that way if God is really God. Politics has its own legitimacy, yes, its own independence, yes, but it is under the aegis of and related to the purposes of God. You know, this becomes very clear, actually, in the first reading from this Sunday. The prophet Isaiah talks about Cyrus, the king of the Persians, who knew nothing of God. He knew nothing of the Israelites' God. Yet, Isaiah says, Cyrus was a servant of God. Willy-nilly, whether he knew it or not, Cyrus operated according to God's purposes, God's designs. His political decisions about the Jews, allowing them to return to their homeland, his political decisions were under the aegis of God's designs. Very much like in the Gospel of Luke, 
Luke says that Caesar Augustus decrees a census for the whole world. And in accord with that decree, Mary and Joseph make their way from Nazareth to Bethlehem that the Messiah might be born where the prophet said he'd be born. The point is, Augustus, the great Caesar Augustus, also operates according to God's plan and God's design. Politics is not independent of God. Now, Christians, why is this so important for us? We live in a country, in a society, largely determined by the philosophical presuppositions of modernity. Modernity drew, indeed, a sharp demarcation between religion and politics. I've often spoken about that peace treaty that the modern philosophers form with religion. We will tolerate you as long as you remain privatized. As long as religion and faith are private matters, entertained in your heart, whispered among yourselves. But don't bring them out into public. We can have no truck with this sort of view, it seems to me. Render to Caesar what Caesar's. Sure, government has its legitimate role. Yes, it does. But Caesar, government, social life, politics, economics, that too all belongs to God. And therefore, all of it ought to be informed by strong, clear religious principles. Christians, yes, when we go into the ballot box, yes, when we uh, elect officials, we should be informed by our strong Christian religious values. Don't allow this overly sharp demarcation to be drawn between religion and politics. Yes, Caesar has his legitimate role to play. I don't want the Pope as the head of a world government. I don't want bishops in governor's mansions. I don't want priests running city governments. That would be outside of their competence. But I do want our great Christian values to be informing our political decisions and informing our political life. Render to Caesar what Caesar's, yes. But remember, Caesar belongs to God. And God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of the word on fire, Call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.